0: Welcome back to season two of the HPS Cast. I'm your host, Colbert Cannon. If you're new to the pod, HPS is a global investment firm. We manage approximately $60 billion in assets for a broad range of institutional investors. That capital is invested across private credit and public credit strategies. Each week, I sit down with key relationships to and partners of the firm to learn from their experience, ask how that experience shapes their current roles, and give insights into HPS and how we operate. So with that, let me bring in this week's guest. Our guest is a well-known figure in the investing community, spearheading private credit investing for a leading global insurance and financial services company. After an undergraduate degree, as well as a master's in business and a PhD in finance at top-notch German institutions, he started his professional career at Stuttgart as a strategic project manager. In 2014, he then moved to Allianz in his first role as an investment manager there. He then moved to Munich, where he took on responsibilities as the chief of staff of the office of the board member focused on investments, global life and health in Asia Pacific. After that, and for about the last four years, he has served as the global head of private debt for Allianz and lead portfolio manager of private debt for Allianz's investment arm. Through that time, he and his firm have been world-class partners to HPS across the business, and they have consistently shown thought leadership and forward thinking in their focus on private credit broadly. So without any further ado, let me introduce this week's HPS cast guest, Sebastian Schroff, Global Head of Private Debt at Allianz. Sebastian, welcome to the pod. Hi, Colbert. Thank you so much for being here. I want to start by going all the way back. Where did you grow up? Where are you from originally?
1: So I originally grew up in the south of Germany, which is, you know, very close to the Swiss border, an area with not so many people, so actually quite uh, on the countryside. Going to today's world, currently, you know, during the COVID times, the countryside is quite a nice place to to, to
0: be in. So I spent lots of time there uh, again, you know, something you only appreciate during such times. So, Sebastian, you've been well-educated. You have two more degrees than I do, full disclosure. Did you know you wanted to pursue a career in finance or how did you end up down that career path?
1: Yeah, I, I would say in Germany, it's quite common to have some degrees. Uh, I think it's a bit peculiar if you if you compare it uh, internationally. So, you know, I think you don't need to feel bad uh, if, if, if you do that comparison. In terms of career plan and what I was planning to do, I think, you know, when I started studying, it was not more than just a keen interest in economics and uh, finance. But there was not really a very sophisticated career plan behind that. You know, so it was just, uh, okay, get started with something that you think is
0: interesting and then see where it leads you. During your time finishing up your Ph.D. in finance, you started at Borscht Stuttgart as a project manager. Tell us about that opportunity. What were you doing back then?
1: So that was very interesting because it was a combination of what I was doing in my PhD and uh, what I was sort of doing in my in my first job in the in the financial industry, and that was very much focused on you know the trading behavior of retail investors. So you know people like you and me, what they would do in their uh, trading accounts, and that was also very much what I was covering. In my job at the at the stock exchange, because that stock exchange was very much focused on structured financial products for retail investors. So it was a it was a very interesting link between, you know, what I was doing in my PhD, looking at empirical data and assessing, you know, how people behave when they trade financial instruments. And at the same time, in my job, you know, looking at okay, how are those products actually structured and priced? Yeah. So I think that was quite an interesting combination to sort of kick off a career.
0: How did the opportunity to join Allianz come up for you?
1: So the job
0: with Allianz, I saw the, the, the
1: job posting and uh, one of my former colleagues you know, in, in research was working at Allianz as well. And pretty much what caught my attention was working in alternative investments. And uh, uh, this is something that I thought, okay, sounds very much interesting, You know, thinking about asset classes, like infrastructure, uh, real estate lending, whatever it is, which was a, you know, a big strategic push on Allianz and already a couple of years back. And I just uh, thought, okay, this is something very interesting to get into. And that was pretty much uh, the story how I started
0: with Allianz. So Sebastian, most of our listeners know Allianz certainly by name and reputation, but can you tell us a little bit about Allianz in particular, the business segment that you joined when you started there?
1: So Allianz has a couple of different business lines. Mainly, uh, this is insurance business, uh, both life and health, and also property and and casualty business. So this is really what we are doing on the insurance side globally across more than than 100 countries. And then we we have the, the second sort of pillar, which is asset management, which is also a very significant part of what the group does. And we have two major... Um, asset managers in the group, which is Allianz Global Investors, and also PIMCO, who is part of uh, the Allianz group. And then the area I've uh, mostly been focused on the last couple of years with Allianz was given our broad-scale insurance operations globally, we have a very significant investment portfolio of all the various insurance entities. So as of today, we we have more than 800 billion euros. That we are managing on behalf of policyholders and uh, what I've been spending my time on the the last years together, uh, you know, with many colleagues was to take care of the allocations for those insurance portfolios in the alternative credit space.
0: So we'll spend a lot of time on private credit, but before we get there, you did spend a year with the title chief of staff. And in my experience, that role can mean a lot of different things at a lot of different places. What specifically were you charged with and what made that an appealing opportunity for you?
1: So that was a very interesting job I had for a while, and that was working with uh, pretty much our group chief investment officer. So the board member at Allianz being responsible for all the uh, insurance investment portfolio and our global life and health business, and in terms of regions, uh, the Asia Pacific region. So it was a very interesting mix, I would say. Uh, you know, between uh, various topics. You know, both on the insurance business side. You know, the insurance is highly interesting. Asia was very interesting because for Allianz, uh, it is a very strongly growing market. And then, of course, investments was also very interesting to sort of see everything across asset classes.
0: I imagine for as big of an institution as Allianz, for you get a chance to see that broader scope of the organization must have been very interesting for you. So if I have my timeline right, in 2017, you then became the global head of private debt at Allianz. Can you tell us about the business you took over then? And then we can walk through how it's evolved over the last couple of years. So
1: private debt is a very relevant topic if you, if you look at our insurance portfolios, because we've really systematically been growing what we are doing in the private asset space. It actually goes for both equity and debt investments. It was an interesting asset class, uh, and it, it still is, because it had been growing already for quite a while. But a couple of years back, it was not so much a real asset class in terms of you know thinking about strategic asset allocation. And this is really where we do it, developed that Allianz as, as a group that, you know, private credit is really a fixed block in our asset allocation. And uh, I was given the chance to contribute to that, which made the topic very much interesting.
0: So Allianz institutionally, and you personally, you guys have been ahead of the curve in terms of being thoughtful in terms of how you allocate to private credit. So I want to start with some basics. When you think about the asset class, what is private credit? How do you guys define the term and what do you put within that bucket?
1: I think we have a, a quite broad uh, definition of alternative or private credit. And pretty much our definition is it's everything, you know, that you cannot easily trade on a daily basis. Uh, so if, if you think about what we are covering there, you know, it ranges from commercial real estate lending to infrastructure loans, but also buckets such as U.S. private placements or also residential mortgages. So it's quite a broad definition across the full range of what there is in alternative fixed
0: income. And what is it that you find appealing about the asset class? So I
1: think what the asset class always needs to deliver on in the in the first place is there needs to be an illiquidity premium versus, you know, the best comparable that you have on traded markets. So the comparison is not always straightforward and uh, it's, it's sometimes more art than science, I would say. But this is the main thing that a private credit needs to deliver on because otherwise there's just no let's say, justification to take on the complexity that is linked to private investments. The the second aspect that is always very much in focus for us is, you know, we, we are very much a conservative investor. And whenever we assess investments, the focus is more on, okay, what is the downside protection versus what is the upside of an investment? Uh, and I think private credit also needs to deliver more than uh, what we see in the traded space in terms of actually having low realized loss rates and particularly being able to show okay that it's possible to recover money in those asset classes so this is the second thing i would i would say and then the third factor that private credit needs to deliver on is to somewhat have less volatility than what you see with a traded mark to market instruments. So, and if those three things come together, I think this is what makes an asset class attractive for an insurance investor.
0: What are the risks you know, when you've seen it go wrong? How does private credit suffer versus public credit investing?
1: I think we always very much look at, okay, is there a proven track record? So uh, you know, have our partners or we ourselves uh, really demonstrated uh, that we can navigate well also in times where, where everything is not going well. And I think this was a challenge for the asset class the last couple of years because it was just a very, very much benign environment. So the last couple of years, our focus was very strongly on not just looking at okay, what was the returns the last couple of years because they looked pretty good for most players in the market, but it was still much more okay. And what did you actually do in the last crisis? And and how you know how did you deal with troubled positions? And this is really, I think we're. Private credit is is also currently, and and the next couple of years will tell us a lot, sort of being put to the test, okay, how is the asset class actually behaving in terms of realized loss rates? And this is then, you know, what we need to compare with public markets to really then come to an updated assessment. Okay, how how is the asset
0: class doing and how attractive is it? You know, our our CEO, Scott Kapnick, always says, Credit firms are judged by their performance through cycles. If you look at last five years prior to COVID, if you put a dollar to work in credit, it probably worked. You know, it's a pretty benign environment, as you say. And so it's the tests is the 2020s, the 0809s, the 0102s, like that's when you really determine, you know, whether somebody knows what they're doing or not. Maybe on that note, what's changed in private credit? You've been doing it long enough to see the evolution. And this is an asset class that in real earnest started, you know, oh eight oh nine. it really exploded in growth. It's really been the last 10 to 12 years that you've seen the asset class attracting real dollars. What's changed? How has it evolved?
1: I think one thing that has changed is private credit has become much more mainstream than if you looked 10 or, or 15 years back. Also, you know, if, if you look at databases and what private credit was, you know, before the, the global financial crisis, I mean, there was no no real mainstream direct lending; it just didn't exist. Uh, and I think this has evolved very strongly in terms of the asset allocation of investors. So I think this is this is one thing. And then the second thing is, uh, you know, what triggered uh, this shift also in the in the asset allocation of investors. And this was was pretty much uh, private credit activities by specialized managers has just taken away quite a lot of market share from you know what banks w- would traditionally uh, do. yeah. So I think this is the two massive uh,
0: shift we have seen. It's like the old Mike Tyson line where he said, everybody has a plan until you're punched in the face. You know, like 2020 was a punch in the face and we'll see how people react to it. Well, to that end, uh, let's talk about it. 2020 has been a disrupted year for all of us, obviously, both personally and professionally. How has COVID impacted Allianz? How are you managing through it in the portfolio and where do you see things going from here?
1: So- Looking at our portfolio and how it behaved in in 2020, the assumptions we have taken the last couple of years and also why we underwrote investments in the private space, and it it goes for both equity and investments, going into the crisis like that, what we realized is the portfolio is actually very much resilient. So, So the main reason why we built out our alternative investments has played out so far very well, I would say. There is a disclaimer, um, and I think it's an important disclaimer, and that is the crisis has not really played out there.
0: Sebastian, how about the day-to-day work for you? You're a massive global organization. You yourself are based in the States. How has it been managing a global team through the midst of all this disruption?
1: We have been very much surprised how well we can actually function from working in the office to, to working remotely. I think this has implications for all of us in the long term, you know, what the, what a workplace looks like. On a personal level, it has, of course, been a very challenging year for everyone, you know, whether you have kids going to school remotely at home or whatever the, the personal challenges are we have also as an organization managed quite well you know to give everyone the freedom and flexibility to cope with those challenges
0: i never thought i'd miss business travel you know like i can't wait to get on a plane again and uh, and go see an investor i that's not a reaction i thought i'd have a year ago well let's talk about the future then you talk about more dispersion and i agree with you i think you'll see differential performance through the crisis in a different way than it probably has been for the last 10 years where do you see private credit going as an asset class and what are you focused on at allianz in terms of monetizing that to the benefit of your policyholders
1: The trend will continue. I think more and more investors will appreciate the attractive features of private markets. So I think that trend is is not going away. The second point I would mention is that being an investor that is, is really committed to an asset class and does not really trade in and out, but does it on a continuous basis, I think this is very much important if you are getting into the asset class because it's just by its nature... Not something you trade in and you trade out, but something you really keep in the portfolio in the long term. And, and this is what we are doing at Allianz. And what helps us in this endeavor you know, is the stability that I mentioned at which we do it, but also that we can do it at scale.
0: Yeah, scale is very much a differentiator and if you're managing an 800 billion dollar balance sheet, a 1% allocation to a new initiative is quite a large amount of money, you know, at the end of the day and you're yeah. able to structure that in a way that benefits you and your investors. Well, let's talk about that macro point. You have this large balance sheet. You know, we're in the midst of a lower negative interest rate environment and we have been for some time. How much of the appeal of alternatives is because of that rate environment or how do you factor in the sort of the rate environment as you think about allocation decisions?
1: What happened with interest rates over the last decade definitely gave the whole alternative equity and debt market a big push because... There was just more of a need to get into this, you know, whereas back in the days, you could make enough to well service your liabilities. And I'm simplifying somewhat by by just buying government bonds.
0: Or if liquid high yields trading at 10%, you know, that's a different story. Exactly, So, so, so this has disappeared.
1: But I mean, the reason why we have been following through for the last 10 and even more years was that we learned more and more what the features of those asset classes are. And and based on that, build it out more and more. Uh, so, you know, I would say there's two things you can do to fight, fight the low yield environment. One is what we are doing on the asset side, where, uh, you know, we are trying to get away from the mainstream, trying to systematically use our competitive advantages. You, you mentioned scale. The other aspect is looking what does a retirement savings product have to look on the on the liability side. The other adjustment that Allianz as a group has made to to really offer products that have a good value for customers is to also focus very much on really essential guarantees to then allow for an attractive asset allocation. So also adjustments on the product side of things. So.
0: Throughout your professional career, you've always managed to find time in academia to complement your business endeavors. So for the better part of four years, you've been an adjunct lecturer at University of Hollenheim, if I'm saying that correctly, while managing a demanding day job at Allianz. Why was it important for you to maintain a foot in the academic world and, and how much did you enjoy that?
1: I, I would say, I mean, we are all getting older, and it's always nice to keep in touch. Uh, you, you know, also with uh, with younger colleagues. Yes, Keeps uh, you young, uh, sort of. yeah. So, so keeping in touch with with university and what what is going on there, I think is very much rewarding. Uh, also in teaching, bring in the the industry perspective. Um, uh, at least I thought, you know, it might be might be of interest uh, to students. I mean, they have to judge themselves, of course, but. But I think this is what makes it interesting. And also the transfer of knowledge between academics and, and the industry, I think, is is a very much important one.
0: I remember uh, this is dating me, but back in sort of 08 or 09, I remember we had hired a young new investor out of college at a firm I worked for, and they were explaining that they rented their textbooks in college rather than bought them. And I remember saying, well, wait a second, what did you do? And I needed to understand the business model. And it turns out it was a massive problem for Thompson Learning, which was a portfolio company of ours that we rapidly realized was in a lot of trouble. And I I do think there's something to you need to talk to 21 year olds because they think about the world differently than you do. And it's important to remember that, you know, not everybody has your lens. Fair enough. Now, if I were, Sebastian, a young professional who, who was looking at advancing in the financial services industry, what advice would you give me?
1: For me personally, what I think is is very important, doesn't matter at, at what, what stage of your career you are, but to always, you know, uh, keep a high level of being open, always being curious. And, you know, whenever you're confronted with new topics and things you can work on, to always be optimistic and, and rather embrace the topic, even if you don't know if it will be, you know, something will take away something or not, uh, you, you never know. But I think it mostly pays off. And you always
0: learn something. I think it's a great approach. And I, I actually think that this sort of the keeping an open mind and the being able to change your mind, which is part of that, you know, new information is it's crucial as an investor or as a professional, you know, I think the people that get set in their ways, those are the ones that always make a mistake, because you're not reading and reacting to new information. I agree with that completely, Sebastian. Well, great. Well, let's move to the last segment of the pod. This is something we like to call best ideas. And this is where we offer up something that's added value in our lives recently. We call it best ideas because as investors, we only hope to add good ideas to the portfolio. But our goal is always to size up and maximize exposure to the best ideas out there. Sebastian, you're our guest. So I'm going to ask you to go first. What is your best idea this week?
1: So I would frame it a bit more broadly and talk about okay what was the the best idea for for 2020 and the main takeaway for me was just doing doing sports on a very regular basis especially during times where you are not moving around much and you know you have your days with a full agenda and you're just uh, sitting there staring at screens all day long I think what what has worked very well for me was to deliberately take breaks and get moving somehow uh, even more important, you know, during uh, the old days of how we used to work, where you would move around naturally, you know, business travel, but also between meetings and stuff. I think this was was a very important factor that helped me personally to to get through the, the, those times.
0: Couldn't agree more. And I think your point is well taken. It's very easy in a work-from-home mold to just stay in your room and stay at your desk for hours at a time. And that's not how we're supposed to live. Exactly. You know, you're supposed to be getting up and even just, as you say, walking to a meeting, whatever it is, I, I couldn't agree more. My best idea, as listeners know, is always inspired by the guests of the week. And so my guest this week is, of course, German. And I started thinking about the German things that I've appreciated recently. And so my best idea this week is actually my favorite book I've read so far during quarantine, a book called Till by a gentleman named Daniel Kelman. Daniel grew up in Austria, but so of course, writes in German. Full disclosure, I read the English translation as my German is far inferior to Sebastian's English. Daniel is an incredible author, and he writes in a sort of magical realism genre. Smarter literary critics than I am would say he's the German Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I should also say he's quite famous as a German author, but he's just starting to get his due appreciation in the English language world. The English translation of his book Till came out in early 2020. Till is a fable-like story. It's set in the 1600s about a court jester named Till, who is a mythical character that comes from a book written back then, and it follows his life throughout Germany and Europe in the aftermath of the destruction from the Thirty Years' War. It interweaves actual history with Till's sort of magical mischief, and reading it during this time of global distress and crisis, I can safely say I've rarely felt more transported than when I was deep in this book. It's gorgeously written, incredibly rich in how he describes the world, and amazingly clever in how Till pops up across the decades throughout crucial events in European history. So in honor of our German partners and my German guest today, my best idea this week is the remarkable book Till by Daniel Kelman.
1: I have to confess, I I haven't read the book and uh, I don't think I've read a book by the author. So
0: uh, I I guess I have something to do uh, next week. uh? That book's fantastic. He also wrote a book called Measuring the World. That's fantastic. It's, It's just, it's incredible stuff. So with that, it's time to say goodbye for the week. Sebastian, it has been lovely to spend time with you. We value greatly you and your firm's partnership and we appreciate you agreeing to take the time with us today. Sebastian, thank you so much for being with us. Colbert, thank you very much. Thanks again to our guest, Sebastian Schroff. Check out our show notes to learn more about Sebastian and his firm Allianz. You'll also find more about the book Till by Daniel Kelman that we discussed. This podcast was brought to you by Atwill Media with HPS Investment Partners. Please be sure to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen.